Last week on Australian Survivor Archives, Ben committed to something that he'd later regret. I tell you what, if we get to 100 likes before next episode, I'll do it. Matt got worried that his podcasting career could already be over. I'm worried that this, this, this podcast will end up being shut down before it's even started if, if you end up posting that. Our two hosts attempt to maintain all their new listeners. Australian Survivor Archives, the only podcast on the internet covering all aspects of Australian Survivor from 2002 to 2019 and everything else in between. My name is Ben and I assure you I'm wearing much more than simply a buff this time around. Oh, I'm still having nightmares, Ben. <laughs> hey guys, my name's Matt Dyson and can you believe it? Second episode already. So it's good signs. Who would have thought that uh, we would get to the second episode? But uh, I just want to say, look, a big thank you. We've had such a great response to this new podcast and the amount of downloads we got for that first episode and support is just absolutely overwhelming. And uh, uh, we hope you enjoy this second episode. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd actually get to 100 likes on Facebook before we even released the first episode? That's uh, my most um, regretful thing, I think, from uh, having to say that in our very first episode. But yes, I I echo those, those thoughts that you just mentioned there. It's uh, been quite surprising at the level of feedback we got from that first episode and we we very much appreciate it actually the the numbers we got listening was fantastic we are actually recording this a little over 24 hours since we dropped the first episode and uh within that short amount of time it's been fantastic so we we definitely do appreciate everything that came from that but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec we are here today on episode two to get right into the thick of things when it comes to the very first season of Australian Survivor. This is our introductory episode of Season 1, 2002, Channel 9's attempt at Australian Survivor. We're heading back to Whaler's Way, Matt. Uh, I, I didn't know if in Survivor history there would ever be a podcast talking about this season. But um, so far, particularly through some people who have been involved in in that season 17 years ago, there's, there's a little bit of excitement brewing, I think, with some people uh, ready to talk about this season again, which which makes me a little bit warm in the nether regions, I'll be honest with you. I totally agree. I, I wouldn't have thought 17 years later we'd uh, still be wanting to talk about Whaler's Way and even just the name, Whaler's Way, that just every time I hear it, I, you just get excitement and you know, you think about that very first Channel 9 season in 2002 and, and you know, like I, like you know, I've just recently watched it and you realise it, it's it's a season that holds up really well. And we are talking about this off air that, uh, you know, maybe five years after, after it was filmed, it probably didn't hold up so well. But 17 years on, if you go back and watch it now, it's, it is a completely different Survivor than than the new Channel Ten stuff, and 
you actually get a, an appreciation for what the game was back in that period. And it really does hold up quite well after 17 years. I absolutely agree with you, and I think kind of as we mentioned last week, a lot of what we want to try and do uh, throughout these episodes, particularly through the first two seasons, is kind of re redo this where people can maybe go back and watch these now and kind of try and grow a, a different appreciation to these. And again, we're not here to completely sway your mind. We're not we're not here to say that you're wrong for for not liking these seasons. You're always entitled to your opinion, and if you even if you go back and watch it and you're still not a fan of it, that's completely fine. But there does definitely, I think, needs to be a bit of retrospect here to kind of reanalyze these seasons and include them in the grand scheme of Australian Survivor. And I think kind of that that fits into a, to a comment we had on our first episode uh, by Christine Howes. And look, I, I don't know if she is any relation to Lincoln. I, I could be his wife, could be a sister or a daughter. I really don't know. Or it could just be a coincidence that she does have the same last name as the host of this season. We'll obviously talk a little bit about Lincoln throughout this episode. But the the comment that Christine left saying, what network did uh, what is irrelevant. As you say, you either watched them or you didn't. Only the bloody networks care who did what and boo to 10 for not including the others. Every season, every episode, they're all part of the evolution. And something that I do completely agree with. And I think... You know, we're going to learn that. I think we'll learn that in the coming weeks, the coming months, when we go through each of these episodes, when we speak to the cast members, when we speak to Lincoln, and kind of just get that retrospective of where this season is at. And the, and the great thing too, Matt, is that we obviously mentioned last week, is that people can watch these now and they can watch them legally because we do have an official Survivor channel out there where people can watch these along and, and try and see... If, as you said, and I agree with you, that kind of this holds up a lot better now, 17 years later, than it maybe did only a few years after this aired. Yeah, and it's not just about being able to watch them. It's the quality that they've been downloaded in uh, is much higher, you know, resolution and quality than it was back in the day. So I think that also helps um, when you watch it is it's, you know, the surroundings of, of Whaler's Way and, and, and all the footage. It's... Uh, you know, it 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 makes it a lot easier to watch. Um, and yeah, this is the availability. I, I really hope that our our loyal listeners um, are going to go back and and watch this season just like you and I have recently, and and um, you know realize that it, it is actually a pretty good season. I uh, one thing I also a special shout out as well to another one of our listeners uh, throughout the week, Daniel Knowles, who um, I have a bit of history with. He was a former Oslet back in our Survivor Oz days over on that show. Uh, but Daniel is a, is a mad Survivor fan, clearly, and he sent in some pictures which we shared on our social media during the week, of course, uh, where he collected a lot of stuff during that very first season. And we will talk a, a little bit out in this episode and, of course, across the, the way when we're doing this about the, the promotion that was put out there with this season and kind of the, the level of things that were put out there through Channel 9 and, and Lays and Pepsi and all these sort of things and great pictures of some cards. You could collect the, the contestant cards and chip packets. Uh, he had a couple of magazines articles there and he even has a t-shirt which he told me was actually given to him by katie gold of the australian survivor logo and a t-shirt that says i will survive at the top of it uh in a photo that he's posing with um adam clean the winner of uh survivor millennials gen x so um uh, great to see that kind of we've got people out there and there's a few other people as well commenting on some of our other social media sort of talking about how it's it's great that we are talking about this and even there is a, a a twitter account too that uh reached out and kind of has on their bio the the world's biggest defender of Whaler's Way. And I said, well, we might have to challenge you to that. So um, maybe we're going to get to the end of this, Matt, and kind of have a, a Whaler's Way off or something like that. 
Another thing too, I would love if if anyone out there has a photo. There, there, there used to be a poke, pokey machine and there was one for Big Brother and one for Australian Survivor. And I was a gaming attendant back back then during the 2002 season and um, it was big. This is how big the show was. You could go into an RSL or a casino and actually play an Australian Survivor um, pokey machine. That That's how big this show was at the time and how heavily marketed it was. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about that marketing because this, there's never been an Australian Survivor season marketed as much as this as this very first season, which is important to kind of note in history. But I, one thing I just wanted to touch on, I think, before we kind of get into that and some other bits of this season is we touched on this briefly last week, sort of our, our history around Australian Survivor, how we got involved in it. But I'd like to maybe just kind of go back to that topic and particularly with yourself because we know that you applied for this season and again a friendly reminder to our listeners out there help us get to a thousand follows on instagram and matt will release this unaired uh audition tape of his from you know that was eight it was that 2001 you would have done that yeah so i would have i actually just i went back and i worked it out so um i worked out when the auditions would have started and I would have only just turned 18 because I'm, I'm born in January. So I would have probably been 18 and two months when when the audition uh, process came out. So I, I literally just scraped through to be eligible to to apply. And uh, honestly, I, we've got to get to that thousand followers because you're not as much as I don't want to have to post this video. You're going to want to see it so you can give me as much shit as you want because it is terrible. It's probably more terrible. It's been it's been a while since I've 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 watched it, so it's probably even more terrible than I even remember. So yeah, if we can get to that thousand uh, followers, I'll definitely post it and let everyone have a look. What, what does that say about me that I'm willing to take my clothes off and put a buff over my bits for only a hundred likes, and yet you're you've got your clothes on um, and hair, and yet you 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 like nah, a thousand likes for me, like gosh. <laughs> Well, well, I will say this. As much as I say my video was terrible, I don't think it was as terrible <laughs> as your Golden Towel Challenge photo. So, uh, <laughs> Golden Buff yeah. Challenge now. We're, we're upping the ante. Oh, I want to see Buffs covering bits now. It's all good for a towel. I went for a smaller... Buff's smaller than a towel, Matt. Come on. Not that small. So, I mean, it's big enough to cover but, what was there, but, you know. So right now you're wearing the Kadena buff, but why did you choose the Tapara buff? Uh, well, because Tapara is the winning tribe, a bunch of winners from that tribe, and um, you know I felt like a winner for taking my clothes off and doing that. So mate, you're, you're you're a man of your word, mate. You're a man. Of, you said you would do it. We got to a, a thousand likes on Facebook so quickly. It was within you know less than twenty four hours, and and uh, yeah, it's a it's a credit to you, mate. You you stuck to your word. Well done. Well. Yes, I, I, I like to be a man of my word. But, yeah, you, I mean, the audition process for Australian Survivor... So, Australian Survivor was announced uh, during the finale of Australian Outback in May 2001. So, I think it's the connection there that we've said last week that there's going to be a lot through the US Survivor where this comes about. And, obviously, we both talked about how we got into Survivor last week. But I remember as addicted and, and as excited as, as I was for this finale of the Australian Outback, seeing that ad and like, wow, this is awesome. We're going to have an Australian version of this. And so it didn't really take Australia long, Channel 9 long, to all of a sudden be like, boom, we're going to do our own version of this. Because again, 
2001, May 2001, this is the biggest television show in the world. This is this is the Game of Thrones of 2001. There's nothing bigger on TV than Survivor at this point. So this was very exciting. So a lot of people, a lot of Australians jumped to this opportunity. So I'm guessing that, Matt, that was you. I'm guessing you're watching that. And as soon as that's announced, you're like, boom, get me the camcorder. I'm going to film an audition tape. It was a holy shit moment. Like when they announced that we were going to be having an Australian Survivor that we can we can apply for it was it for me it was a holy shit moment like i need to get on this show because i was obsessed and you know still am obsessed with survivor and the the thought of being able to play it i mean how amazing but i never had a camcorder i remember i borrowed my next door neighbor's camcorder (laughs) and and i got my mother to, to to film it and she had no idea no idea how to use a camcorder. It was yeah. Uh, wait and wait and see till you see the the audition tape. But um, that yeah, that that's how that's the lengths I went to 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 get a video just just to get a video in to give myself a chance of getting on. Um, another thing they do differently too. Um, when I didn't get on, it's not like these days. If you don't get on, you just don't hear back. Mm-hmm. So. So I've so it took me four attempts. So I've I've done four applications to get on Survivor. Obviously, the fourth time I got on, um, the the second and third time, you know, you you put your application in online, and if you don't get on, you just don't hear back. Uh, back in two thousand and two, they would still send you a letter because you know remember back then technology, not you know now they'll just send you an email or something, or you don't even get that now. But but. They still sent a letter, and I remember I was down at cricket training, and I, because everyone knew how excited I was, the thought of maybe getting on the show. Uh, my family members came down and hand delivered me the the envelope to me at cricket training, and to let me open it up and and watch, you know, watch my reaction when I open up. And of course, I open it up, and and it said, you know, you're unsuccessful. And I can still, I still remember where I was when I opened that letter down at down at my local cricket club. And the disappointment of not getting on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's you know, seventeen years ago, but even the whole process, I just I remember like it was yesterday. Do you still have that letter? Oh, I will. I so wish I did. I, I really wish I did, but no, I, I don't. Unfortunately, it would, uh, this is the thing too that we will keep saying. Like you know, as Daniel sent us in, uh, we've got some other things that we can share as well that people have sent us in through. But uh, if you if you applied, we'd love to see the letters of what you got. I mean, maybe you got through to the next stage. Who knows? But, um, and we're going to talk a lot maybe to some of the Channel 10 people, of course, in the, the corresponding episodes of who applied, who didn't. I, I know that a good friend of ours and he'll appear on the show over some of the time Cable applied as well. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of see that and kind of have that because 8,500 people did apply, which, in all seriousness, I would assume that more people would have because... I know with the recent uh, announcement of the Big Brothers returning, I believe they got up to like 20,000 applicants in the space of a few days. So I think a lot of that, Matt, probably would come down to, as you mentioned, technology. Because today it's it's simple. You jump online, you fill in a form, which, okay, this form's not simple. I've applied for Survivor. It takes you a long time to fill in the forms. But when I say simple, technology, we all have a phone that has a camera on it that's capable of recording HD quality better than anything you would have had from your neighbor's camcorder back in 2001 so readily available for us to send in a, a tape just like that whereas back then 
There's a camcorder. You've got to put it on a VHS tape. You've got to send it into Channel 9. There's postage and everything along those lines. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the audition tapes on this special that they showed. But, I mean, not necessarily the most highest quality production of some of these. Because, again, you didn't really have, you know, iMovie and Windows Movie Maker and things like that. So it's kind of as raw as you can get, really, in 2001 with these auditions. Shit, Ben. My my first phone was a Nokia in 2007. And I'm talking about one of those old school Nokia. So this is how technology savvy I was back in 2001. You know, I had to go and beg my neighbor to borrow their camcorder. You know, Um, yeah, so it, it, um, oh, it brings back so many good memories. But yeah, it, it is so much easier to apply. Now, I think in my season that I got on, I believe there was between 25,000 and 30,000 people applied. Um, yeah, so which is which is a lot of you know a lot of people obviously it's really so popular now but um, yeah 8,500 I agree it it was you know it was at a yeah those first couple of years survival it hit sort of a real high real early on didn't it so you thought there would probably be more than 8,500 but uh, yeah I still wasn't good enough to get on I think for myself I mentioned that I was way too young well not way too young I was what 14 I guess so four years too young but at least there was that glimmer of hope at that point that they're bringing Australian Survivor. There's no way this can fail. Therefore, it will run long enough that I will get to apply for this in a few years. So there was kind of that process. Sadly, that wasn't the case, and I wasn't able to apply for another 15 years. So it's kind of, you know, that was a bit of a disappointment uh, along that way. But, yeah, through all the Australian uh, fans I knew at that point who were old enough, like, my dad didn't apply, but he was very tempted to apply. Uh, so, like, that, that kind of that level of excitement, too. And, and, again, as I mentioned, it's important to realise, again, that Survivor was the biggest show in the world at this point and still very early days of reality television uh, in the world and Australia because Big Brother, I believe, was just starting around about May 2001. We'd only really had the mole. Uh, I believe pop stars had been a thing in 2000. But, again, you know, there's a difference between surviving on an island or in a house in Queensland than actually having talent to sing. So... And Idol, of course, was 2001 too. So, um, you, you know, a, a lot of that was that 2003. Actually, I'll correct myself. That was 2003, I believe. But it still was in its infancy. That was when it was becoming this huge, massive thing. And it's kind of, it's, I think it's very interesting that we, we compare sort of the journey of Big Brother to Survivor when it comes to this first season. Because eventually when this season premieres in February 2002, this was only a few months removed from the end of Big Brother in 2001. And... Big Brother was the biggest thing in Australia at that point. I mean, household names, just like the US Survivor contestants did at that point. You know, Sarah Marie, Blair, these people were as big as celebrities as, as the Ian Thorpes of the world in 2001. So it was, a, it was a really big thing. And I guess that's what was anticipated of Australian Survivor as well, because we knew how big the American version was, so there was no way this could fail. And I think as we're going to learn across this journey of covering this season of the issues that prevented this from being as big as Big Brother was only a few months before this aired on TV. Yeah, and I, th- I think another thing you've got to remember too is back then, if you missed an episode, it wasn't as easy as just getting on 10 play and and watching it five minutes after it's finished on TV and you can go back and re-watch it. Back then, if you missed an episode, you either had to hope one of your friends had recorded it on their VHS or really, I mean, I don't know about you, but... If I missed an episode, there's no way I could have watched that episode again. They didn't replay them. 
Um, so I had to make sure that every episode I either watched it live or had it recorded, all set, all my VCR set up to record the episode so I so I wouldn't miss it. Um, so that's another thing. It makes it hard for in, in a you know in in shows that go for 13, 14 episodes where you're relying on people to watch every episode to keep up to date with what's going on in an era in an era where where it wasn't there was no way to just go back and rewatch certain episodes unless you had recorded them or, or someone else had. So, you know, we've got a, it was a different time, you know, so much easier. Now people can, can not watch it for a month and then, and then quickly watch, you know, five episodes in a row and they're, and they're caught up and then continue watching. That's a luxury we have today. And one thing too, that I want to mention now talking about like VHS things, because I, I know if I don't mention this now, I will forget when we kind of move along with this is I remember when it was coming on to air, um, I, went and bought a whole heap of VHS tapes with the intention to record this to keep because I had not done it with Borneo. I had only done it with the finale of Australian Outback and I watched the finale of Australian Outback and the reunion like no one else's business. I would watch that daily. I was that obsessed with it. So I recorded then all of Africa because I wanted to have a season to keep and then I knew I was going to record Australian Survivor. But I remembered it started airing when the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Olympics were on. And I'm as obsessed with the Olympics as I was with Survivor. So it was always that, always that juggling act of recording Australian Survivor and the Winter Olympics. Because, you know, in 2002, you didn't have two VHS players. Like, you know, it wasn't a thing. So there was always that juggling act, of course, of doing all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I made sure that I, I recorded them and kept them. And I kept them for a long time. I really did. And eventually I did that with All Stars as well. That was the only other one of the US one I did. So there was that level of excitement going along. Um, I think it's important to kind of just go through, again, the motions here with some of the history of, of how the Australian version even came about. Because it's it's long been said that the reason why, the main reason why Channel 9 did the Australian version was that it was actually part of a contract. If you were to show the US version that you were required to make your own local version. Now, this has always been set in stone as the sole reason why this has been done. I recently spoke with Charlie Parsons, again, the creator of obviously the worldwide format, originally Expedition Robertson's turned into Survivor. And we're posing that question to Charlie. Charlie couldn't confirm nor deny if that was true because Charlie basically said, like, look, that was so long ago, I can't remember. Uh, and basically um, that he said that he was really wanting to make sure that the US version didn't run on any different you know network to the local version in that case the Australian one so it couldn't compete with it uh and he said in that interview that it was quite early on in that format business uh you know today it's much more sophisticated whereas back then it was still in its very early days so look i i think without a clear answer there we can't really say whether that's true or not i i think it makes sense that it kind of would be, particularly with that line where he's saying he doesn't want it to compete with it. So maybe I read into that more of a case of if you're going to produce a local version, like you just, it has to be on the same network or something like that. Because as we will discover with Celebrity Survivor, there was a loophole in a contract which allowed Channel 7 to get it. So yeah, I don't know where the the specifics lie in that. It is smart. Um, it's smart marketing though, because you think, you look at how many survivors we have around the world now. It, it's it's global. Um, it, it, it's huge. The survivor name's bigger than ever. Maybe they tried it a little bit too soon. You know what? Uh, that was only two years into the the show sort of starting. Um, 
and, and it didn't well, it didn't work in Australia. Obviously, it, it was um you know we didn't have another one until Celebrity Survivor, and then and then until 2016. But you look now, you look now. There's been you know we have South Africa, we have um you know obviously Australia, New Zealand one. Unfortunately, it's cancelled, but it had a couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's the um, you know we've had ones in the UK and all, all around the world. So the marketing was quite genius. If that was the case, where they were saying, well, we need you to produce your own. Look, if, if that means the Survivor brand's going to get out there, get more viewers, it, it I think it was quite smart. It it just didn't work at that time. I think technology, um, accessibility just wasn't quite there. But we're now, move move forward now, it's, it's booming. Yeah, exactly. You're completely right. And I think kind of a lot of this has really caught on because we'll get to obviously season three where it kind of it came back and the surprise that a lot of Australian fans had when all of a sudden it's like wow where did this come from this is coming back and it's it's obviously succeeded and you, you know you mentioned that with New Zealand it was a shock in New Zealand that this came back South Africa's remained successful but I mean realistically today though I think you've only really got US, Australia, and South Africa is kind of the main ones. There are still ones going in other countries, but they don't really have that that huge coverage, I think, internationally that some other ones do. Obviously, the, the format started in Sweden, then it moved to Denmark, to Switzerland. But if you actually go through and look at what other countries were doing Survivor around about when it really hit the peak world number one show, as I was mentioning before, um, you, you look at places here, so Argentina... The only two versions they ever did of it were in 2000 and 2001. Haven't done it since. Um, Germany did it in 2000. Haven't done it since. Uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania did a sort of a Baltic combined version. 2000, 2001, 2002. Brought it back in 2004. Came back in 2018, 2019. Again, Belgium, Netherlands. Similar story. Kind of started off early, went away for a bit came back there's lots of things uk i think is the best example of a lot of this as well because i've never watched the uk version but from what i've heard it is terrible um and that only lasted for two seasons in 2001 and 2002 now in me saying it's terrible again that is the general perception of the australian version from 2002 so i feel bad saying that maybe it's something that down the line we can watch it as a as a future future project once we've covered all of australia and caught up who knows but i think the thing that the, the important thing to point out that on a consistency level the only version that has really lasted the test of time without gaps of course is the us version even the original airings of this in sweden and denmark have had gaps in between their airings so you know it's not like australia is unique in the fact that it's kind of had all these gaps in the years uh, it isn't. Uh, it's it's unique in the fact that it's maybe popular, more popular now than it ever was. I don't know if that's the same with South Africa and and some of these other countries. But the point is, with these contracts, it's never been formally announced as this has been a hundred percent official. But it yeah, it kind of makes sense. And it's as you said, I agree. It's a it's a clever marketing ploy to kind of get you to to do that. And it's important to remember that budget. Look, we did Australia didn't have the budget for for like the Americans did in those first couple of seasons. And a lot of people might not even know, even Channel Ten now, they don't run off the same budget as the Americans. The Americans still run on a much higher budget for their show, you know, with the amount of cameramen they use, um, and all that sort of stuff with the challenges and all that. So, you know, Australia have always produced a survivor that is running on a lot less budget than the US version. So you know, and that's why, you know, Channel 10 are doing an amazing job um, 
considering they are on a lesser budget. But in, in 2002, obviously, I guess that that leads into maybe why it was shot in Whaler's way. You know, um, I remember at first, you know, when we heard it was going to be in Australia, straight away you think, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be shot overseas, you know, because we'd watched those first couple of US ones and it's that disappointment and we're like, oh, don't, you know, don't just do it in Australia. It's a whole adventure about going to another country. Rewatching it now, I actually don't think that was the issue with the season. I actually don't mind the location. I think there's some fast, fantastic shots that you see when watching it with the with the ocean, the you know the rocks. I do have an issue with the campsites that each tribe have. I, I don't think they really appealed were very appealing to watch. But uh, what's your thoughts on having it shot in Australia, Ben? I have to say that. At the time, I was disappointed. I can't deny that I was disappointed with that when I first heard it because I think that's where you put yourself into that that part. Like, you think about your 18-year-old self if you, you were getting on Survivor. You, you want to experience the international locale because the US version at that point, we had seen them go to Borneo, we'd seen them go to Australian Outback, and we'd seen them go to Africa, we'd seen them go to Kenya. So, like, it's kind of... It's that part of it that makes you excited for it. So absolutely, I think it was it was disappointing, but yeah, it's in hindsight looking at this location, and and there are definitely a lot of the issues around this season do come down to the location, just based on how it ended up being. I think production got through this shoot and realised they had made a bit of a, a, a foofy when it came to this because of you know, it was so much colder than they thought it was going to be and kind of just the things that happened there. And, you know, this has always been a detriment to why we're never going to have a cold season of Survivor because you want to see them in their bikinis. It's kind of like it's it's the sexiness level of it as well. So I definitely think there's some issues there. But you mentioned the budget, um, and it's never been fully disclosed, but if you, we're going to talk a lot throughout this about the, the fantastic surviving survivor special that aired after the finale, which is just fantastic. It's, I cannot praise it enough. And I wish other seasons would do this. No other U S season has even done this. And it's such a great behind the scenes. Look, they mention in that, that several millions of dollars were used on the production of this. Now I've heard a variety of different figures around this. I could not tell you them off the top of my head, but I've heard, Many things from it was the most expensive Australian television show ever being made to they worked on less than they thought they were going to do. So there's plenty of, of different things around it, what I've heard. But I also think kind of that you've got several millions of dollars but I think also you're right. Like it comes down to the location. Like if you film them, if you flew them off to Vanuatu or or Fiji and that sort of stuff, you're going to blow a large chunk of your budget on that. And I also think the the important thing too, and and one thing that we'll also constantly mention too, which we've, we've shared on social media as well. There was a fantastic handbook that was released in the lead up to this season, which again we'll get into the marketing of how well this season was marketed, which um, has a great bunch of behind the scenes stuff, and it's written by Matthew Benz and Kirsty Hunter. If you can track down a copy of it, is fantastic. And it talks in here basically about the location hunting, uh, how, you know, they did potentially look overseas. No pristine stretch of paradise was overlooked, it says here. 
Um, and it goes into detail how they set it on Whaler's Way. Now, I'm not sure, Matt, if you're aware that kind of... Basically, the three choices for the location came down to Broome in Western Australia, uh, Central Australia, essentially around Uluru, and Whaler's Way eventually got the nod. Because a lot of it also came down to producers wanted to... They looked at the Australian Outback, and they said, we want this to be tougher than what the Americans did. Because they thought Australians were tougher... And they thought, we need to show this. So that's kind of a lot of where it came down to those locations. And I think as much as it's disappointing not to see an overseas location, I also, in a way, look at it now in hindsight and think, well, as Australians, we know we live in a unique country where we live in a harsh environment. So why not shove them in a harsh environment? Because, you know, we know how harsh it is. So let's let's test them out in a part of the country where perhaps they, they've never seen before and, and not, you know, experienced. I had no idea about the the other two locations. That would have been interesting, actually, around uh, Uluru to uh, see a season around there. But and, and for the for the listeners that that aren't aware, Whalers Way is down in Port Lincoln in in South Australia. Um, if when I applied when I applied for Survivor, the only time I'd ever been on a plane was up for a footy tournament up in Cairns. So if I would have got on that season and said, "Oh, by the way, we're flying you down to South Australia to," to play survivor i would have been shattered you know because obviously the whole whole idea of it was oh you know go to another country do the whole survivor thing so yeah there's no doubt it would have been disappointment and and there's no doubt it would have been disappointment to the contestants that got on um in in saying that though look i kind of get i get why they picked whaler's way I, i didn't there were things I didn't like about. It. I didn't like how the, the the two tribes had to do alternate days of either going for food or going for water. That was really bad. No one can deny that. Um, I, I hated, yeah, I hated the, the the campsites. It didn't look good on TV. Um, it was basically just dirt um, and a few old trees. That you know, it, it it didn't have the the good visual look to the show. And I think another thing, the fact that them having it in Australia, it just come off the US version that was, of course, in shot in Australia, the Australian Outback. So that I think that hurt it too. So it was basically they just watched the American season play in Australia. So now it's like, okay, where, where are the Australian contestants going to go? Oh, they're going to play in Australia as well, down at Whaler's Way. Um, it's just there was a lot of things to this season that didn't start off well, and I guess that's why there is that negativity to it. If you if you can. Cut out that early stuff. It is, I often, I always defend it. It it gets so much better, and that's where the respect for that season comes now. But that it's it's almost like there was a, a curse against them. Everything sort of went wrong at the start and, and early on, and it just it's it it's like anything in life. It's hard to pull back after a after a bad start. Which I think I absolutely agree with everything you just said, and I think kind of going back to my point where I think a lot of the problems that did hit this season came down to the location because I think they just completely under-anticipated some of the issues that they would have around this. And I I, I agree, I think, too, there's a lot of that recency coming down to the fact that we had just... Because, again, you've got to put that into context of the period of US Survivor because, you know, the majority of Australians were watching survivor australian survivor because they liked the u.s version you pretty much hear through all these contestants they're applying because they like the u.s version and everything along those lines and we were in that period of u.s survivor where it was all about the location 
you know, that was the excitement. I mean, remember every single season, it was like, wow, where are they going to next? Oh, Africa, Thailand, you know, the Amazon. Like, this was all so exotic and unique, and that was exciting. You don't obviously get that anymore because they're just stationed purely in Fiji. But I think kind of the whole aspect of them doing it in their backyard, if, if anyone's ever watched the Canadian version of The Amazing Race, a lot of what they do in that is they generally just film it throughout Canada. They may go overseas once or twice, but the majority of it's filmed in Canada. And again, that sounds kind of crappy because you're like, oh, The Amazing Race, it's about traveling. You want to go around the world. But it still works because you're also seeing a lot of aspects of your country that you may have never seen before. So I think kind of... There is that because none of these contestants are South Australian. So for them, uh, I mean, I don't know if they'd ever been to South Australia. I'm sure a lot of people have. I'm not saying people don't go to South Australia. It's a great state. Um, go to Crows and Power. Not really, but whatever. I, I think, though, it's like a lot of these people would. I mean, who's ever been to Whaler's Way? It's not like people would go to Broome and not really go to Whaler's Way because I'd never heard of Whaler's Way until Australian Survivor happened. It's going to be interesting, you know, throughout our, our interviews that we've got planned and and as we do this podcast, that I would like to know how isolated Whaler's Way really is. I have no idea. I'll admit that I don't know anything about Whaler's Way other than what I've sort of read up a little bit. I've never been there. I've never seen it. Um, yeah, so it, it will be interesting to see just how, if, if it was secluded. I mean, a lot, a lot of these islands that they play on, Although they make it look like it's very secluded, it's not quite what they show um, or what they make out. But um, yeah, that, that's going to be something I'm going to be interested in is just how how secluded it really was. But it, I think the location, what what the problem was, is a, a Channel Ten season would not get away with ha- with shooting a season in Australia. It just they wouldn't get away with it now. Like there's no way it's it's got to be done overseas. And and I do think as as much as I in the end, I didn't. I came to terms with the fact it being shot in Australia, and and looking back now, I don't have an issue with it. Um, for that old season, you, you couldn't do it now. You, you just couldn't. It w- it would kill a season. Um, but in, in saying that, the, the location still had some good aspects to it. I mean, there's that episode where Sophie's climbing the rocks, and a wave literally nearly goes on top of her, and it probably would have, you know could have killed her i mean you you, you're not going to see that in today's survivor obviously for legal reasons but you know there was some stunning views and some good aspects to that location it just overall it yeah there wasn't enough good things compared to the the like i said i keep coming back to that whole around camp life which in that early season a lot of filming was shot around that camp life because it was about the starvation the 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 not the sleep deprivation all that that's what a lot of the the episodes were about so we're seeing all these these episodes and it's just shot around this dusty dirty dead campsite um even the actual camp campsites themselves like the the t- where, where what they lie under weren't weren't visually good to look at so yeah it, it that's what hurt it i think that's what hurt it and also too like talking about unique what about the intro music? Obviously, we have different intro music. What's your take on that? I'll get to that in a minute because um, I just wanted to quickly mention just one thing about the location before we do because I think another unique thing about Whaler's Way is this is actually private land. So this is actually owned by a family, um, the Thickstone family, who have owned this apparently at the time for 40 years. 
And so they had basically Channel Nine had approached the owner and basically had asked them to to use it. And this guy is quoted in the the handbook as saying, "I've always known this place is the best kept secret in Australia." And basically said it wasn't a surprise that he got this call. Um, so it's an hour out of uh, Port Lincoln. Uh, it's about eight hours away from Adelaide and still apparently a pretty popular um, tourist place as well. So that's just another interesting thing because I, I don't know how many of the seasons have been filmed in private land before. So, And the other unique thing too, I'll say, Matt, which is hilarious, um, is that you, you talk about being disappointed that you, you go to this place and you haven't left the country. The, the survivors were flown to Adelaide, then blindfolded and put on a private jet, uh, thinking that they're going to be flying hours away. Lo- the majority of them have packed bikinis and kind of all this sort of stuff, thinking they're going to a tropical island, and are incredibly surprised that they basically land 30 minutes after they've taken off from Adelaide <laughs> Airport. So you can imagine landing in Adelaide, you've only landed 30 minutes later, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm near Adelaide. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it would, <laughs> yeah, it would have been. You would have, you would have actually thought you were probably on the Joe Schmo show or something. Yeah, <laughs> a bit of a, yeah. a prank show. You know, you, you would have started thinking, is this really Survivor, or, or are they setting me up here? Um, oh, I tell you what, it would be great to get uh, an interview uh, with the owners of that land just to find out. I never even thought of that. I didn't know it was private land. So hey, even even Matt Dyson's learning stuff on on the ASA podcast. So. I think also, too, some of the funny things about it is that basically, um, you know, there's rumours going around that they were filming Survivor in the vicinity, so a lot of Port Lincoln locals caught on to this. But um, the the whole production basically went to town and called themselves. They said, like, oh, we're filming this unique new travel show. You know, this is one of a kind. It's called The Great Beyond, you know, and they went and got... Uh, all this stationery printed out and everything was marketed as the Great Beyond. So that is why the ship at Tribal Council is actually called the Great Beyond. It's kind of a nod to that. So, uh, But, yeah, the locals were pretty savvy. They kind of caught on to this a little bit as well. So um, there was a lot of secrecy because there was famously uh, Today Tonight, flew, they found out the location before this aired and uh, sent their Today Tonight choppers over Port Lincoln and Whaler's Way and uh, broke the news. So there, this was a big deal in the news back in 2001, 2002. I love how the, they do the sly little shots when they're walking in a tribal and they they do the shot of the, the boat where they obviously have tribal and they show that the boat's name is the Great Beyond. It's, it's, a, it's a little in-joke, um, I guess, for, for Channel 9 for production. I love that. I love the fact that, yeah, they're obviously trying to hide it from the locals, this name, but then they went and put it on the, 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 tri- the boat where they held tribal council. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And also, too, um, the, one thing to point out is I, I do like a season of Survivor where they actually go out of their way to kind of do a theme. Like, I think kind of it worked brilliantly in Pearl Islands with the pirate theme. Uh, you know, Palau was sort of almost like a bit of a, a war theme and everything. So this is very much a nautical theme, which transitions me into the music, your question that you asked, because... This, again, we're, we're ticking through the the gripes that fans have of this and that people who haven't watched this in a while, who have this sole memory of this season, the issues that they always bring up. One of the main ones is the music. And again, let's point out, Matt, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, I, I assume you might be the same. When this first aired, I was mad that this wasn't the Survivor theme. I'm like, what am I watching? This isn't Survivor. This is a weird theme. What's going on here? Because straight away it's jarring, isn't it? You feel indifferent to a show that you're used to and expecting something that you expect. Oh, I have to admit, when when Channel 10 brought the season back, when I heard that they were bringing it back, the first thing I said is they have to have the original Survivor music. And it's because it's so iconic to the show. 
but it's funny because now I'm I'm actually in a weird way I'm actually glad that they used the theme theme music that they did. It's weird. Like at the time, I didn't appreciate it. I'm the first. I'll put my hand up. I'm the first one to admit I I was pissed off that they did not have the proper Survivor music intro. I just I just it felt like we weren't getting the real deal. Um, you know, obviously we didn't get the outwit out play out last either. That wasn't allowed. Um, legal issues. That was that was a US thing. Um, I think the UK they used um, "Trust No One" or something. They had a slogan too. Like obviously that slogan wasn't allowed to be used back then. But yeah, I was pissed. I'm gonna admit I, I hated the fact they did not use the proper music. Seventeen years on, ah. Oh, I'm grateful that they used the music they did. I love it. I, I mean, we use it for our the theme song to this podcast. It. I sit there if I'm, you know, I find that end up. I actually had a few people tell me this that um, since listening to our podcast, they they actually start humming the music as they're listening to it, and they love the fact that we used it as our opening and closing. So, you know, you get a real appreciation for that for that theme. But yeah, I, I have to admit it was. It was terrible that at the time that they didn't use the proper proper music. One thing which, uh, just tying into that, you're mentioning sort of about um, they legally couldn't use the Out We'd Out Play Out last. It, it sort of posed similar question to Charlie Parsons in regards to the licensing rights around what they could and couldn't use. And, and a lot of this, uh, at least at the time of this airing, um, the, the article that I'm planning to write probably hasn't come up yet, but a lot of this will be in that as well. But um, again, sort of, Charlie didn't necessarily remember a lot of that, but a lot of what that came down to was the licensing from the Americans was very expensive at the time, and that came to the music factor as well. So essentially, you know, they could have, but that goes into that budget aspect, I think, that they would have charged them through the teeth for it, and it's a lot different today because, again, you know, there was a lot of different licensing rights back then when it was fairly new, compared to what there is today when it's pretty standard fare now. So that's why, you know, it kind of was different. Um, but uh, and Charlie also mentions about how they were developing numbers of logos that had worked successfully in lots of markets because obviously Expedition Robinson and things like that had, you know, it was only the US version that kind of gave us tribal, you know, ancient voices from Russ Landau and, and that theme that we were so familiar with. So, but I agree with you. When the Channel 10 one came back, that was a big thing that so many people were adamant was. And so many people were unsure because we had that promotion in the Channel 10 version of playing Destiny's Child Survivor and kind of just going over the top and not playing it so when we eventually got that theme it, it was great but yeah look i i'm 100 percent with you i think that at the time it was just it was so disappointing but in retrospect i think this theme is fantastic it is so unique it's got such a feel to it a shout out to jack robin who is the guy who who put this together and we're planning on getting jack on the show which will be a fantastic insight into kind of how he came up with this because i think even the use of this music and the score that he's written throughout challenges and a variety of, of scenes. It's just a unique way. And every, like you watch a season of survivor, you watch a season of any TV show, you kind of get used to the intro. You generally press skip. If it was on Netflix or on your DVD and you just, you, you don't care about the introduction. You kind of like that on Survivor too. If you ever rewatch a US season, like, yeah, pre like what, season 24, each season had its own unique flavor to it. Then they just now recycled the same theme every year. You would every now and then. But I, I honestly, in rewatching this, never, ever skip this intro because 
I think it's also, it takes you back. Like, it really takes you back and you just remember watching this. And it's just, it really is a unique theme, which I just appreciate so much today. Yeah, and talking about appreciate, I love I love how even just before they hit the music, they show the, the clip of the windmill and you can actually hear the windmill uh the windmill and then yeah and then the music hits and talking about you know on this on this podcast we're, we're gonna we talk we're gonna talk about the negative and we're gonna talk about the positive and i've always said there's, there's they did good things and they did terrible things one really good thing they did was not just the music but that whole intro of all the you know the cast members when when, when you know the 16 cast members at the start of each episode even that with the music in the background, it, it got you in. It really did. And and that's, you know, since re-watching it now, like I, I tell you right now, I do not skip any intro. I sit there, I watch the intro, I listen to the music, and I love it. And it gets you it, it gets you pumped, just like the, the original Survivor music obviously does. But it, it really does. And and a credit a credit to Jack Robin. He he did it. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to to chat to him and, and find out a bit more about how he how he came about um, you know, coming to this theme. And we'll get to um, sort of in each episode, as I said, that score. And there's there's always kind of uh, every now and then a techno kind of style remix for it. And if you get to the reunion, there's like this beautiful two minute just stretch where they just show the the landscape of Whaler's Way. Which again, like I agree with you, just backtracking a little bit where you say it's visually it's not fantastic because of the camps and everything. But when you have those overhead shots of the coast and everything, it is a very beautiful location. So like we kind of get that at the end with this sort of almost techno style music to it, and it it just it, it works. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit in celebrity survivor too that that's a theme that grows in you as well so i think kind of these two original seasons pre using the ancient voices theme from russ landau it, it works and and again sort of you, i agree we're going to talk positives negatives and everything one of my biggest gripes of the channel 10 version is just the overabundance of music like just the tribal councils they're acting like there's a, a massacre going on at everything it's just it's just too dramatic so i think like this is kind of just a nice balance where you know i i will there are definitely some cues of music throughout this season that yeah. are dated and don't yeah. work it's not yeah. all perfect but for the most part, the theme as well looks... And I'll just also quickly add just on the style and the logo. I love this logo. I love the shark. I love <laughs> you beat the me to it. I've been trying to get in to yeah. talk about the logo. I'm it's sitting a there great logo. Looking at you, I'm sitting there looking at you in your Kadena bath with that logo. <laughs> How good is the logo? Honestly, like, that logo is amazing. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And um, I, you talk about the intro. My favourite shot of the whole intro is that bit at the end when you've got the shark biting the camera and then it fades into the thing and you've got that... Oh, Oh, don't stop it. Keep going. Keep oh, going. look, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll get naked and put my buff on again. I'll just do this video. Actually, no, I won't. I'm not doing that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> that's I, I just, oh, yeah. Absolute stop making credit. bets whoever on the show. Then. With, whoever came up with that design, of, you know, of the logo with the the whole boat, which is obviously the Great Beyond boat, which they do tribal at, and the and, and the, uh, the 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 shark underneath the survivor. I mean, it's. It, it is an amazing logo. And when I saw that guy, that was the first time I'd actually seen a shirt with the, the logo on it. So um, I think listeners know that I, I did have a, a, a one of the coffee mugs, but I never had it, never had a shirt back in the day. So when, when you uh, posted up uh, our, our listener that had the, the original shirt, how good does that logo look on a black T-shirt? I, want, I don't know about you guys, but I want one. 
We're going to get one. I think we're going to get one, and I feel like that's something that we should we should have because, um, yeah, I think, like, it's kind of one of those things now that's kind of so old school and retro that you just kind of, it's such a unique thing to wear that people would look at that, and people just know the Channel 10 version. Like, that's not, what, what's that logo? That's strange. Ben, I can guarantee you we're going to be uh, getting some shirts. I think I know Whether what we have a Christmas from Matt Dyson. <laughs> I'll give oh, you my address. Right. It's, it's a retro. It's a retro logo, and after all these years, yeah, it, it's it actually looks awesome. You, yeah, people will be like, "Oh, what's that one? Oh, that's that's the original two thousand two Survivor logo." Yeah, yeah, it's a talking point. It looks good. It looks great on a shirt. Who wouldn't want to wear one? And let's be honest too that. You look at the 2002 version, unique logo. Celebrity Survivor, it's got a unique logo. We get the Australian Survivor Channel 10 Season 3, unique. They didn't change it up for Season 4. Your season comes along, it's slightly different because it's called Champions vs. Contenders. Season 6, it's Champions vs. Con- they don't even put Champions vs. Contenders 2 on it. Like, And even the All-Stars logo hasn't really changed. So this is the thing. Because like, I, I, I love identity, I love logos, I love being able to signify certain things with logos. So the US Survivor, of course, like it's fantastic that every single logo looks unique. And I think kind of when they release every five years, um, Buff will release a anniversary buff kind of you know with all the logos on it and they look when you put all the us logos on a on a poster they look fantastic um and i think kind of that's where it's kind of disappointing with australian survivor that you've and we've got it on our logo of course um or sort of some of our promotional material i should say on our 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 facebook page and things like that you put we can only use three logos can't we because channel 10 haven't really signified a different logo (laughs) yeah no that's true um yeah, it's 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 interesting how there there hasn't been a lot of change. Like I, I definitely like this season one logo better than the celebrity logo. Um, I think I think yeah, they they nailed the the season one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's oh, and, uh, another thing I want to say too is is you know how much I cherish the fact that I got to play in two thousand eighteen. You know, everyone knows that I've got my buff. It's in a frame. Like I cherish that so much, but. The fact that I didn't get to play the very first season in Australia, like that's, it's always something that's going to not, I guess it's like an American uh, player. I mean, how good would it have been to actually be the original season on Borneo? I mean, yes, it all those they've had so hundreds of players since, but no one can take it away from those 16 players in Borneo that played the very first season. I had that same feeling with, this, you know, Whaler's Way season one season because the fact that I did apply for it, I, I guess people that were younger and that they wouldn't have that connection to it. But for me, um, that, I just I just wanted to tell the audience that, you know, I'll always cherish the fact that I got selected and got to play. Like, do not get me wrong. I mean, I'll never forget the fact that I, I did get to play the game. But there, there will always be that little something inside me that says, you know, if, if I was ever going to get to play, like, Maybe I wish it was the very first season. Do, do you get what I'm saying, Ben? Completely get what you're saying, and I think I agree. I think that there would be that unique aspect of it, and this is, again, what I hope we can try and do on this podcast is to help get these 16 Australians who were the first to ever play this game a little bit more notoriety and, and respect because I think it's a very important fact that these were the first. These were the first 
guinea pigs from Australia. And as you said, Borneo has that aspect. You know, 16 Americans played this game for the very first time. And if you are ever in the vicinity of a Borneo contestant, there's something different than if you're meeting someone from, from Koh Rong or you're meeting someone from Karamoan. Like, it's just it's just different. I've, I've been very lucky to meet Survivor contestants. And out of the uh, Borneo contestants, I've met Richard, I've met Joel, and I've met... Uh, Gretchen in person, and I, I think that's off the top of my head. I might have, if I've missed anyone, I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to stay at Gretchen's house and hang out with Gretchen on a personal level and have her show me around uh, Nebra- uh, Nebraska. That's not the place I'm thinking of. Um, uh, why have I gone blank? Uh, Nashville. Thank you. I knew it began with an N. Um, and you know, I didn't, just- I, I didn't help you out there. You didn't at all. Um, you know, it's just kind of, and, but like, it's, there's something special when you realize that, like, yeah, they're just regular people who are on a reality show, but as a Survivor fan, you're with the OGs. You know, this is like, if, if you were into space and you loved, you know, you wanted to meet the, the men who's walked on the moon. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I would love to meet an astronauts walked on the moon, but meeting Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin would hold a little bit more levity than meeting, you know, any of the other men who followed afterwards. Oh, absolutely, and and it's funny because you you just hit the you just said the words regular people, and as soon as you said that, that it brings us to the host of the show. Now he Lincoln House had never you know he was more behind he was a journalist he was behind the behind the camera, and obviously um, he became the host of season one. Um, so he he wasn't you know viewers weren't familiar with who he was at the time. How did you feel about? like going into this new season it's got a new logo it's got different music where we've now got a host that you know no one knows who he is what do you think that worked do you think that didn't work what, what's your opinion on that i think it made complete sense because the way i look at it is exactly the same way as what they did with jeff probst because jeff probst at the time wasn't a household name he'd hosted a a quiz show on MTV or something like that, or VH1 and, you know, a little bit of relevance there, but hadn't really kind of broken out there. And they didn't know that Survivor was going to be a big thing. It took off overnight. Jeff Probst is a household name. So to me, they've done exactly the same thing here with the Channel 9 version. They've thought, okay, then, you know, we can get these people, we can get these notable people, but hey, let's try and pluck someone and make them a household name. Because you got to remember, Matt, that there were some big names attached to this show. The, the big favourite was Jamie Jury, who, of course, at the time, peak backyard blitz. Uh, you know, this was one of the biggest shows in Australia at the moment, pre-Jamie Jury being on Oprah. You know, this guy looks the part. Jamie Jury looks the part of Jeff Probst. He would have been a good host. I'm not taking that away. But just, I think kind of it was a, a bit too obvious choice. People like Grant Kenny was an, another choice. And the big one, of course, too, that Channel 9 really went out of the way to do was, of course, Richard Hatch. They wanted that notable Survivor name. And Richard Hatch has talked over the years about this on, on Survivor Oz interviews about how close he came to actually hosting that show. And, I mean, that would have been a unique aspect in itself. But I think at the end of the day, it was a smart choice to get somebody from obscurity. Lincoln has a very long history in television. He had been a, a producer and a journalist for many years. At the time, he was a producer on 60 Minutes. So he kind of had uh, the TV knowledge there, not the hosting experience. But, look, I, I will admit, at the time, bit indifferent on Lincoln didn't necessarily know what to think. I think on subsequent rewatches, though, I think Lincoln does fantastic with the material he's got. I, I would, 
I would very much go out on a limb and say there are many elements of Lincoln's hosting style that are better than Jonathan LaPaglia's. And I know that's a controversial thing to say because a lot of people are very partial to JLP. I'm partial to JLP. I like JLP. I think JLP has some, some hosting issues around him which people overlook. I'm not saying Lincoln's perfect. We will talk a lot about Lincoln throughout this series. And I know Lincoln listened to our first episode and I know Lincoln's probably listening to this one. And spoiler alert, we've got Lincoln on next week's show to talk to him about this. But I think Lincoln did fantastic with the majority of stuff that he had, and I think it was a smart choice, because at that time, Channel 9 were expecting this to be a hit, they were expecting this to be their own franchise, and if all of that had worked out, Lincoln would be a bigger name than Jamie Jury, and probably would have paid his employees or his taxes. I can't remember what Jamie Jury did. He did something, and he got into trouble with his money, whatever. But yes, I think it was a smart choice to, to get someone like Lincoln House as a host. Completely a Completely agree with you, Ben. I think he had a good look. You know, he, he agree. Yeah, yeah, he had a good look. He, it was a tough season. Like these people were, the contestants were. It's not like now. I mean, I know contestants lose a lot of weight now and all that, but mate, they weren't getting burgers every you know second reward challenge and all that. Like if they got a pizza, they would get one slice of pizza and you know and it'll share you know share a whole pizza and get one slice. Um, Lincoln had that look where it, he, he could. He could handle the conditions himself. Like he had that, you know, rugged sort of. He looked like he'd, you know, been. I don't know whether he had been a camper or what, but he looked like he could. He could go out and play the game himself, you know. And that's what I really enjoyed, uh, you know, about watching Lincoln as the host. Uh, I'm going to be interested when we do interview him to talk to him. You talked about JLP. He he definitely has a lot more interaction. With the contestants now, like at Tribal, he can, you know, he seems to be able to have it, you know, he can have a joke with him. He can, you know, he has all these fancy catchphrases and stuff he uses, all that. There's, there seems to be a lot more more interaction where back then, I don't know how much he was allowed to sort of do outside of, you know, asking a few questions and then basically, you know, doing the votes and then obviously at the reward challenge, immunity challenge, running the, running the challenges. So I think, as far as you know, I loved his voice. I loved the look of him. He was the right age. He he, he wore those khaki, you know, unit outfits he had on. He, he he just he looked good. He looked good, and I'm glad. I'm glad the fact that I probably didn't appreciate it as much back then when I watched it, but I do appreciate that they got someone that we hadn't seen before. And I think it's important to note what you're talking about. The interaction is that. This is, again, in that early part of, of the Survivor lexicon where essentially there were a lot more restrictions. There were a lot more rules around things like this. Like, you know, the interaction was so much more tighter back then between production and the hosts. You know, we didn't have things like, oh, the contestants are whispering to each other at Tribal Council and all these elements which make for entertaining television. But that's just not how it was done back then. And... I think that's very important to note. And I think another thing too, which I, I think Lincoln, you need people need to understand when watching this season and understanding where Lincoln is at, go back again, as I will constantly refer to at that time of Survivor, and look at Jeff Probst in the first two, three seasons. He's unrecognizable to what he is today. Still a fantastic host. Jeff Probst, to me, still is the best host on television to this day. And I think kind of we had those seeds planted back then in those earlier seasons. But Jeff is so fresh-faced. Jeff is still like he's letting people stay there with raincoats and being nice and all this kind of thing. Like, just not the Jeff Probst we have today. So if, if this had have lasted the distance, had we been sitting here in 20 
2019 talking about season 40 of Australian Survivor with Lincoln Howes approaching his 40th season hosting. The development there would have been fantastic. And I think you're right. Like, JLP kind of has that interaction, that jovial things aside with it. I do think a difference in the hosting styles is that JLP, I think, relies a lot on scripted words going into it and and kind of not as free-flowing. Whereas Lincoln, to me, as a journalist, I think he's kind of got that background where he's, he's prone to being able to ask the leading question and then kind of go in there. I also think, too, at the time, there wasn't that follow-up question and, and digging into these contestants as much as there is today. Like, you're kind of asking the basic questions in Tribal Council and not getting to the bottom of who's backstabbing who and who's going to be a flipper and who's that, because that's just that's not the game in 2002. So I think there's all these elements around to Lincoln's hosting style where, again, it's important to realise the context of the show and to realise what um, you know he had to work with and what he's got to work with too. So, yeah, I... I I am definitely a fan of, of what they did with him. I think the look is fantastic. That shirt, he uh, as soon as he found out that he uh, had the audition for the host, he went out to Big W and bought himself a khaki shirt, and he <laughs> wore it for most of the shoot. So uh, it served him well. I, I hope next week he can reveal to us whether he's still got the shirt from Big W 17 years later. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the look of him, it worked very, very well. And uh, it's a shame that um, this was kind of his, his moment in the sun and we didn't really see him post, uh, post-Transvira and he just went back to behind the scenes. And it's important to note, like, I mean, JLP now, he, he's, he's selling a different product. And now it's about, yeah, um, you know, there's idols in play, there's all these twists and stuff. So when he's at Tribal, he's asking all these questions and he's trying to get someone to reveal, you know, maybe a bit too much information than they should. That wasn't the case in 2002. There was no idols. You know, it, a lot of the contestants were playing a lot of mateship. It, it would have been hard to try to dig for questions, you know, dig for answers because um, they weren't there. I mean, now now it's all about, well, you know, who can you trust? You know, who has an idol? Who You know, who's going to turn on who? It just wasn't like that. So, so Lincoln was selling a different product to what JLP does now. I think personally... I think JLP is the absolute perfect person for the 2016 onwards host. I think he does an amazing job, and I think he is the perfect fit for what Survivor is now. Would he have been the perfect fit in 2002? Probably not, because they were selling a different product. Now, yeah, back then, it was all about the conditions, the harsh conditions, the weight loss, all that. Completely different to what it is now. And I think for that, I think Lincoln was the, the, the right choice. Agree, completely agree. I do like this quote in the uh, handbook when uh, he answers a question about being offered the host role. He said, it was a shock to the start with, when I rang my wife to say I got it, there was a silence and she said, I'll have to call you back and hung up. So uh, (laughs) I hope we can find out next week just exactly what happened when uh, they rang back. Now, um, I think we'll we'll talk a little bit about the cast in a moment, but I think kind of it's important to mention about the, we've we've alluded to it, the promotion around this season, because again, no, no season of Australian Survivor, I feel, has ever been promoted as much as this and so effectively as well. Um, We'll talk a little bit about this audition special that we had because I think that's important to talk. We're not going to do a separate episode on that one, but I, I, we'll talk about that in a minute. But obviously, I'm referring to here that I've mentioned a few times this official handbook that they released. Now, this was a thing 
being done in the US Survivor, like I know Borneo and Australian Outback both kind of had a little companion book that went with it. So this was kind of a cool thing. They have the official handbook and it's actually quite good. I've tracked this down and not only does it have some behind the scenes things in, it's got some like fun things of like, you know, host a Survivor party while watching it and how to tie your buff. And it's kind of got some great uh, bios and all the contestants, which I know we're going to have a lot of fun with uh, Matt along the way. So it's, it's really good that they released this sort of book. But then the really important thing that we've mentioned a few times here is just the, the marketing alongside uh, Lay's chips and, and sort of PepsiCo products with Solo and Pepsi and things like that, because there were there were competitions you could you could win five hundred thousand dollars yourself if you bought certain products and like texted in the number and things like that um if you collected a certain amount of i think labels of bottles of solo and pepsi sent them in with like 10 bucks you could buy a buff uh there were the cards in the chip packets of course as well just so much promotion going alongside of this and everything. You mentioned about like the poker machines and everything along that too. So I think just so effective in the way they did this. This was front page on New Idea and TV Week and in Sydney Morning Herald and the TV lift out. So there was so much marketing and excitement and hype around this. And it was just such a unique thing that even the first season of Channel 10 that we had in 2016 wasn't quite the same level that we've got with this because you cannot buy Australian Survivor buffs. Not once have they released them on Channel 10, whereas at least in this way, there was one way of doing it. So I think the, the marketing, the promotion around this season was absolutely second to none and the best they've ever done in Australian Survivor. And, and don't forget, they at the end of each episode, they would also put up a link... Um, for a survivor auction yeah. where you could go on. And so, you know, th- this is how much they'll, you know, promoting it. You, th- that never happens now. No way. You can't go on and, you know, go on to an auction and bid for, bid for, um, you know, memorabilia from the show. I mean, that'd be amazing if you could now because, you know, it's such the massive fan base it has, but y- you're right. I mean, it, it, it's actually since rewatching it, it's got me wanting to eat Lay's chips, you know, like <laughs> all these years later, like, but I'm, don't drink Pepsi. That's seeing. shit. <laughs> You know, it's it's yeah. They, they they really went hard, and 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 even on our on our social media page today, when you know um, we posted up some some of our fans, how they had all yeah all the cards of the the contestants, and you know they put into a scrapbook, and that um, they got out of the Lay's chips. Like how good, you know, if, if I would have played back then, I could have been on a on a a chip in a chip packet. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's it's great. Like it really is, and you you think about other things that kind of came from this. Like uh, we we shared, uh, we'll have to share it on our social media too, because uh, we shared this on the Oz Network when we had Katie Gold on uh, recently. Uh, but she had that dress made out of Survivor bus because she went to the Logies uh, with Lincoln basically because it was nominated for most outstanding. I don't even think they had a reality carry back then, a probably light entertainment program or something along those lines. So just just things like that, and you know the contestants I believe would appear on the Today Show. The next morning a lot of media around it and and you know very exciting things like that obviously they do a lot of that today through channel 10 but i, I don't believe all the channel 10 contestants get a gig on the project the next night did you get the project and things like that at all first boots aren't a priority oh see that's bullshit like first boots are among the priorities if you ask me but um you know it's yeah. funny it's funny ben because i remember the season before me um on the the morning the there's the yeah the channel 10 morning show um I remember all the contestants got interviewed except for Joan, who obviously was a first boot as well. So when I became the first boot, yeah, unfortunately that phone wasn't ringing too much for, for any uh, for any interviews other than a couple of radio uh, radio shows. But um, 
yeah, you know, but yeah, back then, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, it was it was huge. It was absolutely huge. Well, you you got the distinction of getting a tweet from Clementine Ford, so not many people can get that one at least out there. <laughs> but I, I mean, even the promotion thing around having a audition special the night before this aired. So this is something that I actually was only aware of recently because this official channel that are the the sort of the castaway production channel that are, are launching all these episodes they've put on this audition special so this aired the night before the uh, australian survivor premiere and this is essentially i'm just going to call it australian survivors funniest home videos because anyone who remembers australian television in the 1990s and 2000s will remember Funniest home video show. Australia, Australia, this is you. Do, 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 do. Joe Beth Taylor. Oh, God, I was like eight. And I was like, oh, she's she's pretty. I didn't know what that meant when I was like young. <laughs> but I uh, loved it. It was a family, it was fun family entertainment on a Tuesday night. You watched Funniest Home Videos. It was a great show. So this was still at that point a kind of a thing on Australian television. It was hosted by the esteemed Ben Dark. Of Getaway, who, like, I sound like I'm bagging the guy out. I actually like Ben Dark. He was a great, fun host. I loved Getaway. I used to love watching Getaway. So he was a, a presenter on that. And essentially, he talks an hour's worth and shows a whole bunch of funny clips and basically goes through the motions of, like, oh, some people did this and some people did that and kind of mixes it up with actual contestants who applied and you see some of their tapes. They add the the generic Funniest Home Video sound effects when people are doing silly little things. And it's just a unique thing. Like, in all seriousness, it's kind of a waste of time. Like, it's kind of what's the point of this? But, again, it's it's a product of its time. Australia loved Funniest Home Videos. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have this. You wanted to see people make dicks of themselves because you had some hilarious ones on here. And it was just unique, and it really kind of got you in the mood to watch it. There was a live studio audience. People were there wearing their buffs. They were talking about what they were doing and all this sort of stuff. Uh, there was a, a, a fantastically awkward one-on-one interview with Ethan Zahn, the then winner of you know Survive, the most recent winner. Terribly awkward. Um, and then, of course, we had the competition, Matt, where you could win a mystery flight somewhere to the location of Australian Survivor before officially announcing all 16 contestants and boom, let's get excited for tomorrow night. So, yeah, it was a unique little thing to promote the show. Ben, let's cut the crap. That w- It was a hard watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, yeah, look, I think when you watch it, you have to remember the time. Like, if, you, if that was on now, it would be, oh, I mean you'd be thinking, uh, what are they doing? They're killing the show straight away. But, yeah, you're right. Back then we had Funniest Home Videos, and they, I guess they did try to do it like that. Um, you know, when I recently watched it, I know I texted you and I said that that was a hard episode to get through. And, and it is now. Like I mentioned at the start of this podcast that this season, the se- season one actually holds up really well 17 years later. You know, I think the more time that goes past, the better it gets, but I can't say this for the uh, for the audition special. I think it was it might have been all right for back in in two thousand and two, but it probably needs to stay in two thousand and two. And one thing I want to note about I, I did like the fact that people are sitting in the buffs with their um, Tapara tribes and Kadena tribes. Uh, Kadena buffs, sorry. I thought that was pretty awesome. Like you, you look out and, the, and they do a lot of shots of the crowd and everyone's in their their yellow and blue buffs. So I I I. I did think that was pretty cool, but do you remember there was one, there was one interview that um, that Ben Dark did with a, a lady, and they, she called herself Kitty, and she was in a black 
leather, yep. like, yep, yeah, you know, uh, kitten, like a cat suit. <laughs> it was probably the most awkward thirty seconds of her life. <laughs> um, and even the questions Ben asked her, and oh, you got to watch it. Like, if just for that moment. <laughs> If you can get through the 40-odd minutes it goes for, it's actually worth it to see just how awkward it, it did get. But almost, yeah, look, almost as awkward as the Ethan interview. Uh. <laughs> hey, they went live to him, Ben. Was, they he, went live to was him. he live, Matt? Was that not pre-recorded and sent across by the publicist and awkwardly cut together to make it look like it's live? I don't know. <laughs> look, I, I have a feeling... I have a feeling Ben Dark doesn't use that episode on his resume. <laughs> I, I, I'm so sad that we don't see... Ben. I don't know what's happened to Ben Dark. Like, he's gone dark. Ben has gone dark. I don't know where he is. If, if any of the listener, listeners out there haven't watched season one yet and they plan to, do do this for me. Go back and actually watch that episode first. Because Ben was right. They did actually air that the night before the, the premiere episode. So, um, yeah, but but have a, for a laugh, go back and watch it. But, yeah, it looked... Oh. And please, if you know where Ben Dark is, let us know, uh, because <laughs> I think his family are worried about him. I'm not sure where he has gotten to. But it's, it's also a unique thing, too, to see the um, all the auditions, because that was a cool thing that US Survivor did at that time, wasn't it? Kind of on the reunion, they would show like a clip of some of the, the audition tapes, and they, they don't do it anymore. But I actually liked seeing, you kind of see like a 10-second snippet of every single one. And this is a cool way of, I think, introducing each of them. And can I just point out, We'll talk about the cast in a minute, but Naomi is a Carlton fan, so I like Naomi even more. I didn't realise she was a Carlton fan. Good on you, Naomi. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. There, there were actually some funny characters um, that obviously didn't make it onto the show, but they, they would put their whole name up on the screen, and there was like, you know, they obviously a couple that were singing, had a guitar, and they're singing along, and and um, yeah, it was actually interesting. There was actually a few uh, a few videos that people put in that were actually pretty high quality for the time. I'm yeah. sure, like mine was terrible. Mine was low budget as you can get. You can know, you give us a teaser? Like, can you like like did uh, you do anything like that was unique? Did you just sit there uh, and brush your beautiful lock of hairs back then? Or okay, okay, I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I want to keep it secret until we get the thousand followers. But I will say this: even um, back then, I I used to shave my head because I used to, I played rugby. So in the rugby season, I'd always shave my head, my hair. And then I'd grow it in cricket season. So I actually, and then I, for some reason, I'd put my hair into a bag. I don't know why. I just, yeah. And I still had that bag. So in the, in the interview, uh, in the, sorry, in the, in the video I did up, I may have sort of glued some of that head hair onto <laughs> my facial hair to make out like I had a bit. This is how bad I'm talking. So I'm not going to give anything else away. But there, like I said, there is a reason why it didn't get on that, that audition special. And there was some terrible ones. hair on your face. Like, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> there were some terrible ones on that audition, that special. But uh, look, honestly, I think let's not waste any more time on that, that, that episode because it, it was really terrible. Well, one, one thing I do want to do here, Matt, we shared during the week. Um, a little screenshot of a number that was posted on the screen because I mentioned this uh, mystery flight kind of uh, competition thing that was going on where basically viewers watching this episode, um, if they rang a number and all they had to do, I think, was name like one or two of the contestants that were going to be on it, they would grow in the drawer to win a trip to the location of Australian Survivor, which I think at this point they didn't announce it. They just kept saying, like, mystery flight, mystery flight. So what I thought would be fun here, uh, what we could do, because this was 17 years ago, 
Um, I'm, I'm, it's saying here on the screen that competition closes at 11.59pm Eastern Standard Time on the 12th of February 2002. Not sure if we've missed that. So I thought, why not let's give this call a number? Because I don't know. 17 years later, have, has this number uh, basically disappeared? Like, like, what do you think's happened to it? So I'm going to try a, a little experiment here. We're going to treat this like it's live. So this could completely... Like, I could end up calling a sex line here. I don't actually know where <laughs> this is going to go. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. It, I, I want nothing to do with it if it ends up being a sex hotline. All right. So this... I'm just going to do this. Everyone at home, like, this is 1902 uh, 653 614. Uh, let's uh, see where this gets us. And uh, hopefully, if I disconnect you, Matt, I'm sorry. I, I want you to hear this. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just press this. And uh, did that even... Oh, hang on. Something's ringing. Let's just see what happens here. I'm excited. Oh, unable. Contact blocked by Skype. Oh, no. Well, that's disappointing. Probably is a sex <laughs> phone line. Oh, damn it. I'm not going to win the mystery flight. That's disappointing. Well... <laughs> Let's be, let's be honest. It's only down to to South South Australia anyway. It's not like the well, it was to the location, wasn't it? So it would have been. Imagine if you lived down in Adelaide, and then you yeah. find out you just you may as well just drive there. You may as well say you you would actually almost say to him, "Look, don't worry about the flight. Just get me a fancy limo and yeah. beers and champagne, and just drive me there." We'll go there. That'd be the one chance you win a you win a trip in your entire life, and you're just going down the road. Basically, that'd be your luck, wouldn't it? Um, you really think we would what have uh, tested that before we uh, went on air, wouldn't you? But uh, anyway, <laughs> I would love to. I would. Lo- hey, we're all live here, Ben. We don't yes. we don't cheat and try things. Live. We don't do that on ASA. I know. Um, I would love to know who won that competition. There's probably absolutely no way of finding out, but it would be interesting to actually find out who won and what actually happened. I'm putting it out there right now. Uh, the two people, three people that we want to contact us in the history of ASA. We want Ben Dark. Let us know you're all right, mate. I'm sure your family's still worried. <laughs> we want Kitty Galore, woman in a, a tight leather outfit in the audience. All right. And we want the winner of the mystery flight competition. I mean, they could be still be waiting, Matt. Like Channel 9 could be stingy. <sighs> I don't know. They could be like, fuck, where's the flight? I want to go. I want to see <laughs> Whaler's Way. <laughs> They could still be trapped on this private property down at yeah. Whalers Way. <laughs> Never left the property. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were swept off the rocks and they're just swimming with the sharks or something like oh, that. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, it, it could possibly be the only prize in history that they, when they found out they won and found out where they were going, they were like, oh, fuck it, don't worry about it. What do you think was a bigger prize in 2002, Matt? The, um, the, the Sale of the Century uh, showcase or the... Uh, <laughs> the mystery flight prize offered by Ben Dark. Oh, shit. Does Ben maybe Dark ben, does maybe, he go along with maybe you? Ben, maybe Ben Dark won it. <laughs> he was the only entry. They're like they get after the show. They're like they've cut to Nightline or whatever was on air back then, and they're going, "Oh, oh Ben, oh, there's been no one calling. Oh, I'll call through." How you going? I'd like to enter the mystery flight competition. <laughs> Name and Ben Dark. A- Name a contestant. A- a- uh, Katie. <laughs> He took a plus one and he took Kitty Galore. <laughs> That's his wife now. They got married. They've got a, three kids and a, and a mansion. Oh. All the getaway money. 
Why are we talking about oh. Ben Dark? This is ASA, Matt. Oh. We're talking about the Getaway Archives coming soon he, to he's a, iTunes. He's a part. He's a part of history. He's <laughs> yeah. a part of Australia's part you, of history. You're absolutely right. Who would ever have thunk it that in 2019 we can sit here and say in the franchise of Australian Survivor, Ben Dark and Ian Dick and Dicko Dixon are related in some way because they've both been on Australian Survivor. <laughs> Oh, they I'm were both on Celebrity Apprentice. I wonder if they talked about that when they were on Celebrity Apprentice. Hey, Dicko, how you doing? Oh, good, Ben. How are you? Oh, Australian Survivor. Yeah, that's us. Woo! I'm glad you just gave a shout-out to Dicko, too, because I, I, I feel like we sometimes neglect him when we, we talk about JLP and Lincoln. But, you know, Dicko did host a season as well. I think Dicko has his own planet when it comes to his hosting style. Yeah. We'll get to Dicko. Uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll have some positive and negative things to say because matt remember play hard play fair but play to win (laughs) love it season two is gonna be awesome i want lincoln season one at the moment so let's stick to season one i want lincoln to give us that next week that's on the bucket list get lincoln to give us a dicko impersonation play hard play fair but play to win Uh, (laughs) anyway um the, the last bit I think we really touch on is obviously the cast, I think. Um, you know, if this was... If we were live in 2002, looking ahead of this, we'd be doing the cast preview episode. We're not going to quite go to that level here. But, look, 16 Australians played this game for the very first time. Eight females, eight males. You and I talked a little bit off air before we started recording here. A bit of a young cast. I think half the cast here, at least in their 20s. We do have, still to this day, the youngest player to ever have played Australian Survivor still in Jane Dalton, 18 years old, the only teenager to ever play Australian Survivor. I think the next one is Ben Morgan, isn't he? He was 20. So, um, yeah, so we've still got a bit of a gap there. But, look, I think overall it's a solid cast. I think you get overlooked a lot because we have such a dominant tribe, so a lot of the the airtime and the memorable players do come from the one tribe. But I I think that even, you know, you, you talk about, the respect levels because they're the OGs, they're the ones that play it for the first time. And I personally, as a fan of Australian Survivor, would relate this to Borneo in that I can remember each one of these people easily. For the most part, I can on Celebrity Survivor. I mean, I would... I If you told me a name from the Channel 10 ones, I'm going to know and picture them, but there would definitely be a few that I would have to go, oh, yeah, okay, I remember them. But I think, again, that's going to be different for a lot of Australian Survivor fans. It's not quite US Survivor, I understand that. But... I don't know, what, what's your over to, overall take on this cast as a whole? It's interesting because you're right. It, it is a pretty young cast. I think it, um, at one stage in Kadena, that when they were down to the, you know, there was only eight in each tribe, but when they were down to the last five, all contestants were in their 20s. So that just shows you how, how young. young. Um, and I, I think it's too young. I think, I and I, I've mentioned this before, like I... I like having a few in their 20s on a, on a tribe but i think you know in the in the 30s and onwards is is it, i just i find it creates better tv because they're more like like jane, let's be honest like jane didn't really speak up and do a lot she was you know she she had some big personalities around her and in the end you know as and i, and I don't blame her she's 18 like she didn't have a lot of life experience um you know she she ended up being a follower um that's why I prefer that sort of over 30 and onwards. I, I find that it, it creates better TV, more drama. Um, they're more likely to not be scared to make a move. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, when you've got you know five left in a tribe and everyone's in their twenties, it that that's the probably the only issue I had. But it, even in with Kadena, like you, you look at someone like David Haas, who was the third out, like he was to me. I really enjoyed going back and watching him because. He stood out for me because he was actually, unlike a lot of the contestants on this season, he was one that actually did want to play the game. And when I say play the game, like he wanted to, you know, lie, cheat, and steal. He wanted to manipulate. He, but he he was surrounded by these, you know, young twenty odd year olds that were like, no, 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 we're not playing like that. We're playing the honor game and all that. So, I think if someone like a David played now, you know, even if he was, you know, he was thirty four when he played, I think he would actually be a really good player and an interesting one to watch i just think he was before his time um yeah overall look you know it was uh, there were some great characters i mean i i love show um uh shona it is and, shona. and we'll get that shona, name pronounced yeah. correctly one day <laughs> <laughs> shona and um obviously you know rob katie you know I, I i really liked david um craig sort of really grew on me but you know like it, yeah i think at the time it there was only 8,500 people applied, but, you know, and, and out of that amount of people, you know, you could probably put a line through half of them, you know, 4,000, 5,000 people that for whatever reason weren't suitable to be on the show. So it doesn't leave you with a lot of wiggle room to get the right characters on, you know? So these days when you've got 30,000 people applying and, you know, you only need 12 because the other 12, you, you, you know, you're getting celebrities, it, it make it does make it a lot easier. Yeah, that's a good point because I think if you look at the 123 people who have played Survivor, I mean, how many of them have been celebrities? Uh, what, 24 on the Channel 10 version and 12, so 36 of that 123 uh, are so-called celebrities, aren't they? Are you counting Ben from Season 2 as a celebrity? Oh, that's true, 11. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. that's we'll a, cover that. We'll cover that in season fair, two. Fair call, fair call. Um, and, like, I, I forgot to mention when we were talking about kind of the people who auditioned. So, yeah, 8,500 people applied. Um, 178 of them were sent a questionnaire, basically, to go to the next level. Of those 178, 43 were invited in for interviews and psychological testing, and then 16 obviously chosen. So there's another one. And, like, we joke about having Ben Dark and Kitty and and all those people call us. But, like, there's there would be a fascinating thing, wouldn't it, to have out of those 43 that what didn't get in, so that's, what, 27 people did not get in, essentially, that made it to the interview phase. And this is another thing, too, that would be fascinating is – we would love to find out from any of the modern contestants who applied for back in the day, because I'm sure there's not just you. There are obviously others that I would say would have applied. Did any of them make it to 178, the top 43? Who knows? Imagine if we had one of our Channel 10 contestants made it to the top 43 of the Channel 9 version and were that close. So I think kind of that's a unique thing to kind of look at along the line too. But yeah, I think... Yeah, I think it's a solid cast. I think uh, there's a lot of criticisms go down to the fact that it was a very, it wasn't diverse. You know, it was a very white cast. Um, it's it's look something in hindsight, looking at through the modern gaze. Yeah, it's easy to see that today. But I also am a and a am a person who doesn't believe in casting someone based on your appearance or your location just purely to fill a quota. I would rather watch a season of 16 white people, 16 black people, 16 Asians, if they're all the most entertaining people who are going to give me a great season, rather than having, you know, a split between genders, races, and, and sexualities just because you've got to fill in the gaps to, to please the audience. I think it all comes down to casting, ticking the boxes of, of what you want this show to be. 
I know that's not a popular opinion. I get it. People of all different backgrounds and everything want to see themselves represented on TV. That that's fine. I completely understand why you you want to have that. There, are, I want to see a, a a fat white dude on TV play. You don't really get fat white dudes on Survivor, do you? Uh, I mean, a couple, but they're generally idiots. But um. you, you better stop this keto diet, then Ben. Otherwise, you, you won't be able to get on because you will no longer be the fat white guy. The other reason why I'm wanting to to lose weight is so I can see myself represented because you never see white men on Survivor like so I mean there's another thing too but I don't know like how do you feel about the the diversity debate here because again let's also point out the time that we had this I don't think diversity in casting on reality shows was as big a deal as it is maybe it is it is today because I don't think it was something that it was talked about but I don't think it was talked about to the extent that it is today if that makes sense I think they did I mean they had Deborah and Jane on Obviously, they've got a, a background. I'm, I'm not sure what their, exactly their background is with them, um, but but you know they 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 weren't you know Caucasian. Um, so I believe Jane was Indigenous, I believe, and I'm not sure what Deborah's background was. But um, you know, it's a different. It was a different time back then. I, I certainly don't think they deliberately, um, you know, cast. You know, a, a majority white cast. I, I really don't think that was deliberate. Um, you know, I, I know myself. You know, my fiance is Egyptian, and she's got a lot of Egyptian friends. They, none, none of them like swimming. You know, a, lot, a lot of them don't like, you know, getting in the water and doing all this sort of stuff. Like it's just, the, it's a cultural thing as well. Um, you know, I, I keep saying to my partner, you know, apply for Survivor, apply for, you know, try to redeem my name, you know, get go out there and see how well you can go. And she's like, are you kidding me? Like, she has a safe zone when she walks in, like, she goes in the water, it's like up to her ankles, that's this, that's it. And, you know, and a lot of her friends that I've met, they're, they're the same. So I don't think it was a deliberate, um, like, ploy by them to say, oh, we, we want a, a full Caucasian cast you know because you know like i said deborah and jane were on the cast i think with the limited number of people that applied um taking away them too you you know at the end of the day they still got to get through interviews they've got to get through the psychological testing a lot of people you know doesn't matter what color you are don't pass the you know those sections the fitness test all that stuff so many people get eliminated before you're down to that last little bit where you're waiting for that call to see whether you're on or not. So, yeah, look, honestly, at the end of the day, yes, it, I wish there was more game players on the season. I wish there was more people like like David Haas and, and um, you know, Katie Gold. Of course I do, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I think for what they probably had and for who they could cast, I, I, I'm, I'm happy and I think they did a good job. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that's yeah important to note as well. I don't believe that producers are sitting down here and going, "Boom, we're only going to cast you know eighty eight percent white people." Like that's just not how it works. It kind of it comes down to those tapes and who they think is going to fit the show, and that's ultimately. And this is of course again when you know recruiting wasn't a thing. Uh, I mean, yes, you could technically argue there were a few in those early seasons. Rudy technically was a recruit. You know, things like that. But, I mean, it wasn't to the extent where today in reality shows and Survivor and other things like that where they, they full-on recruit people to be on the show. So, yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I think the thing, too, as well, is uh, one thing that we can talk a lot about on these seasons, and, you know, I'm going to bring it up because there's a certain state that's never been represented on this show in six seasons, Um 
Let me just take the headphones off for a second. (laughs) He's he's getting sick of this crap. (laughs) I don't have to hear it. Um, (laughs) God, two episodes (laughs) in and people are already sick of me going on. But, you know, it's, it's... with, if for people who may be listening to us overseas and don't know the geography of Australia, there are six states and two territories, so we've only kind of got eight, basically, uh, areas where you can be represented. We don't have the 50 states um, of the US. So this first season, um, no South Australians, as I mentioned, no Queenslanders, Matt, in the very first oh, really? season. We did not have a f- Queenslander play Australian Survivor till season three when you outnumbered everyone. There was the most in season three. So um, we had nine people from New South Wales, more than half the cast represented from New South Wales, which, again, people who are unfamiliar, the most popular state in all of Australia. That's where Sydney is. Uh, four from Victoria. So the two most popular states uh, equate to 13 of the 16 cast members. One Western Australian. One Northern Territorian, and we would not have another Northern Territorian until Nova played in Season 6. And one from the ACT. And interestingly with the ACT, we had one in Season 1, one in Season 2, two in Season 3, and we've not had one since. So, um, it's, it's, see, this is the thing. This is this is my gripe about Tasmania, Matt, is that you have <laughs> ACT in Northern Territory, smaller than Tasmania in terms of population, represented... And not one Tasmanian. And I, I don't want this bullshit of people messaging me in. Shane Gould is Tasmanian. Shane Gould lives in Tasmania. That is correct. But she is as Tasmanian as Matt is. All right. She she lives there for a couple of years. Oh. She she won all her Olympic medals for for New South Wales. She swum for them. To me, she is not Tasmanian. I'm sorry, Shane. I'm glad you live in our state. Go stay at her Airbnb. I'm sure it's fantastic. But she's not Tasmanian, all right? Just stop I think, it. I, I think I'm going to start up a tally to see how many times on ASA I can get you to to rant and rage about the uh, no Tasmanians on the season, I think. And you'll probably do it every episode until finally someone from Tasmania gets cast. But I think, oh, I think I'm going to keep a tally. Can because, I just uh, I just want to point out that arguably the greatest reality television contestant in Australian television history comes from Tasmania, Reggie Bird, season three winner of Big Brother Australia. Maybe the greatest reality contestant ever to grace the screens of Australian television and not one fucking Tasmanian on Australian Survivor. So I'm just starting up a new tally for how many times <laughs> you mentioned Reggie as well. We love you, Reggie. You're great. Oh, you're, um, like a, I love, you're like a wind-up doll. I've just got to bait you a little <laughs> bit and wind it up, wind it up and let you go. Don't worry. Uh, I've got plenty of ammo for you, my friend. Let's, uh, we won't mention a certain police tape uh, on your uh, intro episode. <laughs> Constable Senior Matt Dyson, do you realise how fast you were going? <laughs> how many takes did it honestly get you to uh, do that properly? No, honestly, I'm not going to wait until we get to my season because I don't want to spoil what <laughs> how that all went down. I don't want to spoil it. Oh, goodness me. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, the cast, yeah, I, I agree with kind of what you're saying before. We've got some very unique people on this season, and I think kind of, I remember, I, I think we mentioned this last week, I remember there being a newspaper article in the Herald Sun kind of previewing everybody, and they sort of really talked up Rob, saying like, hey, this guy probably will win, and I'm not sure if that's just the Herald Sun AFL connection there or anything along those lines, but, um, you know, that was that was quite interesting, but, um yeah, I think it's it's a I think it's a solid cast. I I, I mean it'll be it'll be a fun project maybe one day to to rank the casts of these seasons um and kind of 
see what we've got because that's tricky in itself because obviously you know you you rate casts on different criteria and everything but um yeah and uh, the agent you pointed out with kadena kind of like you know the last what four or five all being in their 20s. I mean, you look at Tapara, only three people um, are in there, are below 30, basically. Uh, so it's, it's more of an older tribe. So that's kind of a unique aspect in itself, particularly when your final two, um, you know, are both over 35. So, yeah. Yeah, it is very unique. And t- just with the cast, like, I just want to say, the issue I had, I guess, wasn't... it. The issue was it, it seemed to be no middle ground. It was either the players that pretended like well thought that there was no one having alliances and it was all just about you know how long we can survive and how long we can get together and it, there was sort of no in between and then and then all of a sudden there was there was obviously the the contestants like Rob Dixon, Shona, Katie Gold who were I mean Katie Gold had a had a whole map drawn out about how the votes were going to work and and this is like early on in the game while people well 30 days in players are still saying oh I'd be very surprised if there's any alliances like there was that's the issue I had. There was no in between. It was either people had their heads in the sand and thought it was just oh everyone's just friends, or there was a players or there was those the other players that were like you know already knew who was getting to the end. So um, yeah, I, I guess that's what that's that's the only issue I had. And I and I think that that comes down to the ages. There was too many too many younger people on it, and not enough people standing up thinking, hang on a sec, like let's use common sense. Something's going on here. We're playing for a half a million dollars. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think it more comes down to the time period because, again, in context of where we were at in Survivor, we weren't really in that heavy game body phase. We I don't think we were anywhere near it because, you know, Borneo really only had the Targi 4. You had Joel and Jervis a little bit over on Pagong, but kind of, you know, we had a lot of people there just for it. Even Australian Outback, really, you could argue there wasn't a whole lot of gameplay in that season. Africa changed that up a little bit, but these players had only seen a month's worth of African episodes before they went out there, so they hadn't seen that development. So I I, I think this is one key message that I would really like to point out throughout covering this season, because a large criticism, I read a recent post on Reddit, basically, where people were asking, why did the first two seasons fail? Why do we forget about them? And they basically went to lengths at saying how this season was tarnished because you had a pagonging. One tribe dominated so much that it wasn't fair to the other tribe and you never had any gameplay. I think that's completely inaccurate. I think that there is gameplay. People have a a viewpoint of gameplay in Survivor as being blindsides, playing idols, you know, making big moves. Yes, that's gameplay, but there are so many different levels of gameplay. And in 2002, gameplay in Survivor involved sticking to a strong alliance, dominating in the tribal phase because there weren't tribe switches, and keeping your numbers up. That's exactly what we got. And I agree with you. Katie Gold writes out on a piece of paper how this is going to play out and gets it pretty much accurate. She forms an alliance with Rob, with uh, Naomi and Shona basically on day one, and that almost goes all the way to the end. I do not personally see a problem in that. I think that shows solid gameplay. This is why I will go out on a limb and say to this day, I rate Rob Dixon and Katie Gold as the two greatest players to ever have played Australian Survivor because we have not had that level of dominance in any form of Australian Survivor. And I don't think we ever will because you can put that down to the way the game is played now. It's And if somebody did that today, 
then that's going to be a unique way of playing it because of how many twists and things happen along the way. They're played with what they've got. It's no different to a cricket player, you know, Sir Donald Bradman playing a certain style of cricket in the 1940s compared to Steve Smith playing it today. They're playing with what they've got. They're playing with the rules that they've got. It's that simple. That's what they were doing. And I don't think you should take away from how they played the game just because it's not as flashy and in your face as it is in 2019. Totally agree, and, and and that's why I'm excited about doing you know our first recap episode where we can sort of talk more in depth about each player and their personalities and and, and how they're playing the game. Because like I'm a big Shona fan. I think she she played the game. She was 49 years old. She she's very underrated. I mean, she was a brilliant character. I thought she was a great casting. Um, she even you know she admits on 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 the um, you know during the show that she has to be a lot more tolerant than she ever would be back at home. You know, a lot of the girls are sunbaking and all that stuff. But, you know, the way she was, even at her age, like she, she was prepared to make alliances straight away. She she knew what was going on. And I love that she teamed up with, you know, Katie, who was, you know, 24 at the time, and Rob Dixon. It was it was a, it was was a an odd sort of trio early on, but it, it worked. Like, it made for good TV. Yeah, completely agree. And... I'm with you. I'm very much looking forward to getting into these uh, episode-by-episode recaps. And I can tell you we are getting into those basically next, but I can also tell you it's going to be a fortnight until we get in that because we've got a very special episode for you next week. I'm very excited that we can get an interview so early on in our history and kind of bring a, a pretty big interview to get in with because I think we've sat here for a bit over an hour and a half and talked about this season, previewing it, laying the groundwork, laying the foundations of where we were at in 2002, where this season was going and and what we're going to be doing with it along the way and really trying to help you get into context and the mood and the zone of where we were at in, in Australian Survivor. And that leads us into next week, Matt, where we are actually going to be talking to the host of Australian Survivor, Mr. Lincoln Howes. Now, I had the pleasure of interviewing Lincoln many years ago on Survivor Oz and it was a fantastic chat and absolutely delighted that Lincoln's been able to give us his time again because I feel that in hindsight now in the history where we're at in Australian Survivor because when I interviewed Lincoln it wasn't on like that Channel 10 hadn't brought it back at that point so it was still just in the realms of history of television in Australia that there had been two seasons of Australian Survivor and it really looked like we were never going to get anything more so things have changed obviously we're at this point we are now and I think it's going to be a unique chat, Matt. And I really am am excited to, I guess, get this perspective from Lincoln once more and, and really hear his thoughts on, on the Australian Survivor and relive some memories with us uh, from 2002. It's going to be an absolute exciting interview. And a lot of listeners might know that Lincoln's actually a, a, a big fan of Survivor. He actually would, you know, has said in the past he would have actually preferred to actually play the game. Um, that's how much, you know, so he's not just a host. He wasn't as there just for the money. He actually loves Survivor. He still follows it now. Yeah, so it is going to be great to um, have a chat to him about what he thinks about how the game's developed. Um, you know, even, I guess, what JLP does and his hosting style and how that differed to his and, um, you know, the restrictions of what he could do back in the day. So um, oh, it's, it's going to be an absolutely exciting interview and one that, um, you know, you you won't want to miss. 
And if you don't want to miss it, the easiest way to not do that, of course, is subscribing to our episodes uh, on all the, the relevant areas. We are on iTunes, of course, now, which is fantastic. So we would love for you to jump onto iTunes, subscribe on there, leave us some feedback, rate the show. Uh, it definitely helps the message get spread out there as well. And also Spotify, we're there too. We're submitting it to the other channels, so Google Podcasts, they will be coming along the way as well. And hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We've been absolutely overwhelmed by the response that we've got on all of those channels we really do appreciate all of you jumping on board and liking our pages giving us some feedback it's fantastic and to all the contestants who have shared our our posts as well we really do appreciate that it's really helping us out there and getting the word out there and trying something a little bit uniquely different we realize there's a lot of survivor and australian survivor podcasts out there doing their thing which is fantastic it's great to be a part of that but to bring a unique slice of that pie out there as well and again we said at the very top of the show from the bottom of our hearts to have the the level of listeners that we had in that first week i can say that i you know i've been podcasting now for close to a decade and was not anticipating the level of listeners we had in that first episode so it's it's fantastic to see that there are so many of you out there wanting to join us on this journey for Australian Survivor. And I would hope that if you're listening, send us a message, drop us a, a shout-out on, on Facebook, on Instagram, all these channels. Let us know where you're listening and, and give us give us some word of, of what you're thinking. Where, where were you in 2002? Were you, were you watching this? Were you alive? Were you around then? If you weren't, uh, have you managed to watch this or are you going to be joining us along the way? Because, Matt, I, I think this is a journey that a lot of people haven't had in a long time if they were there in 2002. And it's going to be an exciting one to kind of uh, to go through with over the, the coming weeks and months uh, with season one. And, and it's exactly why I've got involved in this podcast with you, Ben, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive super fan of Survivor. So, you know, I, I really am doing this for the fans to be able to, you know, get all these stories back out in the open, untold stories. We're getting Lincoln on. We've got contestants lined up. We're talking about Whaler's Way, for God's sake. I mean, how good is that, Whaler's Way? We need to get the mayor of Port Lincoln on this show. I don't think it would be the same one as him. It could be. It could be a bloody good mayor, and he's been in there for nearly two decades. But I'm telling you now, if we can score ourselves a free trip to Whaler's Way and promote the shit out of that beautiful part of Australia, then, mate, we've done our job. Visit and Whaler's we'll, Way. Hashtag visit Whaler's Way. But they, they need to give us three tickets because we are taking Kitty Galore with us. Yeah, exactly. We're tra- and Ben Dark, uh, four tickets. We're, we're bringing him back. Bringing him back. Ben, ben Dark's probably the mayor of Port Lincoln. There he is. He's moved to Port Lincoln. Loved it so much on his mystery flight. He moved there. But, yeah, a big thank you for everyone for um, listening in once again. Continue that support for us, guys. And I hope you're looking forward to our next interview with Lincoln. And I would love to say that Australian Survivor Archives is proudly sponsored by Lay's Chips and PepsiCo, but uh, we're not quite there yet. Who knows? Next week, I mean, in one week, you got me naked. Next week, we're proudly sponsored by PepsiCo and Lay's. Great. And remember to really share the shit out of our Instagram page because we need to see taped-on hair Matt as an 18-year-old auditioning for Australian Survivor because I want to see it more than I've wanted to see anything in my life. I hope they wanted to see it more than your photo, Ben, but... uh, No one wanted to see that. (laughs) And one last thing. If anyone gets through to that number and someone picks up, let us know. (laughs) Let us know. Yes, that you number again, 1902-553-614. Calls cost of 50 cents. Competition closes 1159 EST. High rates apply for mobile phones. Uh, just 
terms and conditions there. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Australian Survivor Archives. Uh, my name has been Ben, and I'm going to go enjoy some Lay's chips. My name's Matt, and I'm going to go enjoy a Pepsi. Now that I have your attention, have a look at this. Now I would like to introduce you to Kitty Miller. Is there any reason that you're looking like a cat? Oh, well, go see the name. I thought, why not get dressed up, play the part, come along, have a good time, kill two birds with one stone, do that to my boyfriends afterwards. Well, what more than I say? When did you think you had the million bucks in your hand? The whole time. Why do you think the jury voted for you? They saw my strategy. What were the thoughts behind your audition tape? Being in Zion. Now, was the audition process tough? It was tough. You made any tips for the Aussies about the competing survivor? Quit. Would you do it all again? No. Tips from a veteran and a winner. Thank you. you are the chance to win a trip for two to the Australian Survivor Base Camp. All you have to do is phone 1902 553 614, leave your contact details and name one of the final 16 Survivor contestants revealed at the end of this show. Call cost is 50 cents higher for mobile and payphone users and you'll have to ring before midnight tonight. No yank is going to outshine our mob.